Hey, I'm Steph, and this is Not Today. Hello, and welcome. I never know how to start these individual episodes. <laughs> it's like I'm sitting here by myself, and uh, I'm talking to you, but in real time, I'm talking to a wall. So, you know, it, it gets interesting when I try to think about how to start off these episodes. But I guess I'll just tell you that I ate a pumpkin blizzard not too long ago, and I'm still thinking about it because it was really good. I'm definitely leaning into the uh, fall of it all. I want the pumpkin things. I want to put up decorations, you know, the whole nine. But anyway, speaking of fall, don't forget to send in your listener stories, like your spooky ones or just really anything crazy that's happened to you. Cause I love those listeners episodes. I think they're so much fun. Um, yeah. And I just want to hear from you guys. So send your emails to knowtodaypodcast.gmail.com. If you have one, I would appreciate it. And we all love a spooky story during spooky season. But anyway, I guess I don't have a ton of stuff to talk about right now other than our story. So why don't we just jump right in? Before I get started, I did want to give a quick trigger warning. The story does include discussion of domestic abuse. So I just wanted to put that out there. But with that being said, why don't we get started? Domestic abuse is routinely portrayed as a gendered crime perpetrated by men against women. Yet the startling truth is that one third of domestic abuse victims are men. The Office for National Statistics estimates that 1.6 million women and 757,000 men reported abuse in 2020. Despite representing such a significant portion of victims, men are often silenced by hostility and incredulity they encounter when opening up about their experiences to police, safeguarding services, and sometimes the people closest to them. Support agencies often fail to recognize the abuse of men and overlook cases involving female abusers. Recent studies of homicide reviews highlight a lack of training and support in the recognition and handling of male domestic abuse. Mankind Charity reports that in 2021, out of 238 refuge spaces for victims of domestic violence, only 58 were committed to supporting male survivors. Another study conducted by Bristol University detailed how male victims seldom get asked about their domestic relationships by health professionals. In an article by Rita Broberg on centerforsocialjustice.org talks about a man named James, and his name isn't actually James, but they call him James in the article. And they say, James, a domestic abuse survivor trapped in an abusive relationship for over a decade, told them that a doctor dismissed the bruises and welts on his arms as no cause for concern. The lack of empathy and support from this doctor stopped him from seeking further help, which made the abuse continue. James said that it instilled in him the sense that as a man, recognition of his position as a victim of domestic abuse would not be forthcoming. After having thoughts of self-harm, James had to call a female helpline, because believe it or not, male helplines don't work on weekends. The female helpline told him that they could not offer him any help as they did not have the funding to support male victims. So there is a big issue here that there is not the proper help happening for male victims and male survivors. 
Rita Broberg said in her article, with proper training, more funding, and less prejudice, we could destigmatize views of male victims of domestic abuse and provide much-needed support to those subject to this violence. It's really sad and very scary that that's the reality of the situation, especially with that statistic being one-third of domestic abuse victims are men. I mean, typically when someone thinks about domestic abuse, they're thinking about a man doing it to a woman. But that's simply not the case. Like, not every time, at least. I mean, that's obviously an issue as well. But it's really important to not treat these male victims and survivors as if they're not there, because they're very much there. Anyway, we're going to be talking about a man named Alexander Skeel today, who also was a victim of domestic violence. Alexander Skeel was born on August 17, 1994, and grew up in Bedford, England. He was a happy kid growing up, and in his free time played a lot of football, aka soccer, for my American listeners. Alex's best friend growing up was a boy named Jordan Parker. The two met at school and would regularly play on the playground together, as kids do. And like most young boys, Alex never really thought about girls. He said he didn't even really like the color pink, so it just was not on his wavelength at all. That was until Jordan Worth came into his life. June 3rd of 2012, Alex first met Jordan when he was 15 years old when he went to see his friend perform in college. Alex had gone to support his friend, and Jordan had gone to see hers. The two met in the crowd and began talking when Jordan struck up a conversation with Alex. And at first, Alex was surprised that he had been chatting with her because he never talked to girls, but he was enjoying it. And the two hit it off immediately. At the time, Alex thought Jordan was really caring, loving, confident, and she showed a real interest in him. The two began dating not long after they first met, and Alex enjoyed that he was able to tell people that he had been hanging out with Jordan in his free time. Now he had a girlfriend, so he was having a good time. Jordan Parker, Alex's best guy friend, met Jordan, Alex's girlfriend, for the first time when Alex's parents had gone away on holiday and left Alex with his twin brother Luke at home alone. So to avoid any confusion, Jordan Parker is Alex's best guy friend, I'm going to call him Jordan Parker, and Jordan is Alex's girlfriend, they have the same name, but I'm going to refer to her as Jordan and Alex's best friend as Jordan Parker, just to keep that clear. Alex and Luke decided, since their parents were going to be away, they would host a little get-together at their house. And Jordan, of course, came to the party, which was a big deal, because it was the first time she'd be meeting all of Alex's friends. But pretty instantly, she fit right in with the group. They actually ended up spending almost every night at Alex and Luke's house while his parents were away. They were getting drunk, singing loudly, and generally being rowdy teenagers and having a good time together. Throughout those few days of hanging out, Alex's friends decided that Jordan was actually pretty cool, and they were excited to invite a new friend into their circle. Alex's friend Carly said that Jordan was very friendly at first, but also pretty quiet, which is understandable. Meeting the friends is a big deal, so it would make sense that she was a little nervous at first as she was getting to know them. But other than that, everyone loved her and thought that she was really great. And Alex, of course, was smitten. But things very slowly started to go wrong. It was so slow at first that Alex didn't even notice. Jordan would start making remarks about what Alex would wear, telling him that she didn't like a certain color on him, or she didn't like the style of his hair, or the shoes that he wore. But Alex never took offense to those things, because he said he just wanted to impress her. So he would do what she wanted. 
And at first glance, those things aren't terribly concerning. People are allowed to have an opinion about someone else's style, like, and if it stayed there, then that wouldn't really be a very big problem. But the issue was that things kept getting worse. Jordan also didn't understand how close Alex was with his family. She would ask him why he always sat down for dinner with his family, why they hung out together. And it sounds like she didn't have that kind of relationship with her family, so she didn't really like that Alex did. She was potentially jealous of their relationship, and it seems to be the beginning of Jordan wanting to be the most important person in Alex's life. When Alex's mom met her, she shared the opinion of her son's friends at first, but then she started to notice the mind games that Jordan would play with Alex. The first big red flag happened on Jordan's 18th birthday. Alex's family had taken him and Jordan to see The Lion King in London. At first, everything was great, but out of nowhere, Alex messaged his mom around midnight that Jordan was nowhere to be found. He had gone to the bathroom, and when he came back out, Jordan had disappeared. So Alex and his family looked around London for about an hour. And after an hour of searching, Alex found her sitting in the lobby of their hotel. She was laughing as he walked up to her. He had been so confused by the whole situation because he had no idea where she had gone and why she was laughing. It was like she found the whole thing funny, like she had done it on purpose. And Alex's parents told him the whole situation seemed wrong and something was off about her. But to Alex, he felt like his parents were wrong because when they hung out just the two of them, things were great. Things again got bad on August 17th, 2013 at Alex and Luke's 18th birthday party. Alex's parents were hosting a big get-together for the twins. Their mother was extremely proud of her sons and loved talking about them and showing them off. And they were doing well. This party was big. Their mother had made invites and was hosting it at Fox and Hound's public house, which had a dance floor, and it was going to be great. And everyone was having a terrific time eating and dancing together. But that changed when Jordan started yelling at a girl who was a family friend of the Skeels. This girl was the daughter of Alex's mother's best friend. And before the party had even happened, Jordan had said to Alex that if this girl was going, she didn't want to go. But Alex, who didn't know if that girl was showing up or not, and obviously wanted his girlfriend at the party, said she may not even be there. But sure enough, on the day of the party, this girl was there, and Jordan was pissed. Halfway through the party, everything was halted when Jordan began screaming at this 15-year-old girl. The girl was quite good-looking, according to Alex's mother, so Jordan most likely felt threatened by her and did absolutely the worst thing she could have done, which was cause a scene by screaming at her. Alex was really embarrassed by the whole situation and confused about whose side to be on because Jordan didn't have a good reason to be exploding at this girl and she had been a family friend for a really long time, but ultimately he sided with Jordan because he felt like he had no other choice. And what a terrible situation to be put in. This is someone that you've probably spent a lot of time together, and if she truly wasn't in the wrong, then you want to stick up for her because she's your friend. But at the same time, I could see how he would feel very backed into a corner to support his girlfriend, even if there was no real basis for it. I don't know. It's definitely a sticky situation. But Alex's childhood friend, Jordan Parker, grabbed Alex and pulled him into the bathroom so that he didn't have to be a part of the fight. And that's a good friend. But Alex wasn't having it. He yelled that he had to be with her, he had to protect Jordan, and that he loved her. 
Jordan Parker tried to tell Alex to leave her. She wasn't good and he'd be better off without her. But he felt like that was a crazy suggestion because he loved her. About a week or two later, Alex and Jordan, his girlfriend, not his guy best friend, had gotten into a few fights and Jordan snapped Alex's SIM card. When she did that, Alex immediately started to think of excuses he could make for why his phone had been broken because he didn't want to say that it was Jordan who had done it. But after that, he thought to himself, why was he doing that? And he started to think that everyone in his life who had been telling him to leave Jordan had been right. What she did was not okay, and he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. She had done so much to control him up until that point, and he could finally see at least parts for what it was. He was done with the relationship, and to his friends and family, that was great news. They felt like they had gotten Alex back and had gotten him out of a bad situation. But only two days after the breakup, a bomb was dropped. Jordan had gotten Alex's friends to pick her up and bring her to his house because she needed to talk to him. And when she got there, she told him that she was pregnant. Since this was so soon after the breakup, Alex's mother thought that Jordan must be lying to try and get him back. It seemed very convenient that all of a sudden she was pregnant. So she had Jordan take a test in their house. But sure enough, she was actually pregnant. Alex's mother told him that he didn't have to be with Jordan anymore, but he had to stand by her and this baby. And Alex was fine with that. He wanted to support Jordan, but he still felt like there was no way he could be with her. He felt like she had played constant mind games with him and he was tired of it. And after Jordan left that day, Alex didn't hear from her for an entire year. That was until Alex's son, Thomas J, was born on May 19th, 2014. After his birth, Jordan contacted Alex's mother and asked if she would be willing to meet her grandson. And of course, she wanted to meet him. So on August 12th of that year, Jordan showed up to her home with her son, TJ. When Alex's mother first met TJ, she immediately fell in love because to her, he looked just like a little baby Alex. But when Alex heard that his mother had let Jordan back into their life, he was furious and his mother understood why but she begged Alex to let her be TJ's grandmother. She had just met this baby that was technically her son's, so I can understand how it would be really difficult to not want to take on that role. And to his mother, Jordan seemed like she had changed. They figured because it had been a whole year and she had a baby that she's grown since the last time she was in their lives. She must be more mature now because she seemed it. And because she was a mother now, they all gave her the benefit of the doubt. They wanted her to be different, and since she had been putting on her best behavior, it seemed like she had. But that's the scary thing about situations like this. Of course that person is going to put on their best behavior because they're going to do anything they can to get back into the life of their ex. So Jordan was definitely playing nice. Alex's mother arranged for Alex to meet his son without Jordan being present, because at this point, he still didn't want Jordan to be around. But at the same time, he did want to meet his son. So Alex's granddad brought him to meet TJ because he and Alex were very close. Alex said whenever he was sick, all he wanted to do was be with his granddad. So, so in this time when he needed support, he wanted it to be from his granddad. At that time, TJ was about three months old, and Alex felt an instant connection with him. 
And just like his mother, Alex also wanted to see TJ a lot more. So that's when Jordan started bringing him over every weekend so that Alex could spend time with his son. As time went on, though, Jordan would come around more and more until she began living with the Skeels. As far as Alex's mother was concerned, Jordan was great at the time. She felt incredibly lucky that her family had grown and was happy and things were going well. To Jordan Parker, Alex's friend, everything seemed nice. But to him, it seemed suspiciously nice. Like things were going too well in this situation. He had known Jordan before, and this didn't seem like it was going to last. So he was worried. He didn't want Alex to get back together with Jordan because he still felt like Jordan was bad news. But sure enough, on January 1st of 2015, Jordan Parker saw the Facebook notification that Alex and Jordan were back in a relationship. Facebook official and everything. Very 2015. But Alex was happy again. He felt like Jordan and TJ were his happily ever after. It was the best their relationship had ever been. All three of them were so happy. But it didn't take long before the cracks started forming again and the niceness started to fade away. Slowly but surely, Jordan made her way back into Alex's head, in a bad way. And when the two were out driving together, they had seen the girl that Jordan had screamed at on the night of Alex's 18th birthday. And from the car, the two of them shouted, quote-unquote, abuse at her, according to Alex's mother. The girl's mother called Alex's mom and told her about the interaction, and Alex's mom was really upset because she thought that all of that was behind them. She was still convinced that Jordan had grown up, but clearly she hadn't. And that's when she knew that these mind games had started back up again. And when Alex's mother confronted them about that interaction, Jordan packed up all of TJ's things and told Alex that he had to choose. He could either stay with his family or he could come with her and TJ. But if he chose his family, he would never see TJ again. This was an extremely painful moment for Alex, but he ultimately chose TJ and Jordan. And he said it wasn't even a difficult decision for him. He knew he couldn't not be with TJ. So he packed up that day and moved out of his mother's house. He was only 19 years old at that point. And as far as Jordan was concerned, since she had chosen them, Alex had to leave his family behind. And understandably so, Alex's mother was devastated. And after he left that day, she wouldn't see Alex for another two years. In May of 2015, Alex, Jordan, and TJ moved into Jordan's parents' home. Alex was optimistic about the situation. He had still been happy with Jordan and his son, but little things started to change. Jordan started accusing Alex of doing things with other girls during the time that they had been separated while she was pregnant with TJ. She obsessed over Alex and what he did during that time. And even though he told her he never did anything, she wouldn't believe him. But also, for the record, if he had done anything with another woman during that time, it would have been 100% within his right because he and Jordan were very broken up at the time. But that obviously wasn't how Jordan saw it. But regardless, Alex hadn't done anything. But all Jordan would do was fight with him about it. She changed his phone number because she was convinced that Alex had girls in his phone. But to me, this sounds like she wanted to make it as difficult as possible for anyone in his life to contact him. She wanted to be the only person who had access to Alex and just played it off like it was over jealousy of these hypothetical girls that he was talking to. 
She even got rid of his PlayStation, since that could be used to contact other people. She was really thinking of everything. Like, I don't think I would have thought of that. And Alex's mother had no idea where Alex was at that point. She got so desperate to get into contact with him that she sent Alex a pound over mobile banking with the message, I love you. But she received a message back saying, I hate you, stay away from me. And that hurts. Because she didn't know why her son hated her. Like, in the grand scheme of things, not all that much happened between him and her. So she knew that Jordan had a lot to do with that, obviously. But there was really nothing she could do about it. I mean, he was technically an adult and had a kid. Like, he left and that was his choice. But things were not going well. Jordan would play cruel, like, jokes, if you can even call it that. Which I feel like you can't because this is just absolutely messed up. But there was one occasion where Jordan had nonchalantly told Alex that her mom had gotten a call from Alex's mom to let him know that his granddad had passed away. And like I said, Alex was very close with his granddad. So he was devastated by this news because he felt like he didn't get a chance to say goodbye and that tore him apart. And he didn't know how he would ever forgive himself for that. A few hours later, Jordan asked Alex why he was upset. And Alex said, because you told me that probably the most important person in my life is dead. And Jordan told him, oh, he's not dead. She had lied. <laughs> the whole thing was a lie. She just wanted Alex to be in pain. And he was, obviously. I mean, for hours, she let him believe that his granddad had died and Alex didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him. But Alex said Jordan was jealous of the bond that he shared with his granddad. And I find that kind of ridiculous because to be jealous of the love someone shares with a grandparent or a parent, as long as it's not like creepy and over the line, you got to check yourself. I mean, that is such a different kind of love that you share with a partner. Like you can't even really compare it. So he was extremely confused by that situation. But at the end of the day, he was just glad that his granddad wasn't actually dead. And to Alex's friends, they felt like Alex had died because he had completely disappeared from their lives and was nowhere to be found. That was until one day, Jordan Parker found a Facebook account with the name Alex Thomas Skeel. But Alex was spelled A-L-I-X, not A-L-E-X. They thought that was weird, but Jordan Parker sent the account a friend request and soon got a message from the account saying, I've never been your friend. I never wanted anything to do with you. I've been lying to you this whole time. And Jordan Parker knew this wasn't Alex. This was absolutely Jordan. So he messaged back, yeah, okay, Jordan. And very shortly after that, he was blocked by the account. So that's very telling. In July of 2016, Alex and Jordan left Jordan's family home to live on their own in Stewartby, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The first month after they had moved out on their own was really great. Once again, there was no arguing, and if everything kept going the way it was, they would have been great. They even decided to have another child together, and Jordan became pregnant almost immediately. But from there, things started getting worse and worse as time went on. It was around that time that Alex had gotten a good job that he really enjoyed, but Jordan told him he had to leave the job and come with her to university classes. Not because he was actually taking any classes himself, but because she didn't trust him to be on his own. She wanted eyes on him at all times. She thought Alex would go see his mom and dad while she was at school, and she didn't want that, so she made him come with her every single day. 
She also took Alex's wallet, so there was no way he could go anywhere or do anything without her. And not only did she take his wallet from him, but Alex said she opened up multiple accounts in his name and put him into a bunch of debt. So the control isn't just about the things that he's wearing anymore. This is like extreme isolation and financial control over him. In August of 2016, Alex's granddad sent him a birthday text saying, happy birthday, we love you and miss you so much, Nan and granddad. And all Alex's granddad got in response was, don't message me again. Alex's granddad was really hurt by that response, but he just wanted to make sure Alex was okay. And honestly, that breaks my heart because you can't send a message like that to granddad. And if I had to assume... That was most likely sent by Jordan, because as we know, Alex loves his granddad. But hey, I don't know, allegedly, in my opinion, that was probably Jordan. Anyway, at that point, it wasn't just people from Alex's life who was trying to message him. The Facebook account was also used to harass one of Alex's old friends. Jordan used the account to message one of Alex's female friends, are you still fat? Which, of course, was something that Jordan knew would upset that friend. She wanted to isolate Alex so badly that she tried to make his friends hate Alex back. She had already basically convinced Alex that his family was bad, but it seems like she wanted to break that tie even more. Alex's aunt had seen from this Facebook page that Alex had been living somewhere in Stewartby. She didn't know where, but at least now they knew a very general area to start searching in. One of her friends who had grown up in Stewartby helped her look and they actually managed to find the apartment because they knew that Jordan loved elephants and there had been an elephant in one of the apartment windows. So they figured that one had to be Jordan and Alex. And when Alex's aunt went up to the door and knocked on it, all of the lights went off in the apartment. So that was weird. And a while later, she had seen downstairs a light come on and she saw the outline of Alex standing in front of the fridge for a moment and then he was gone. So she hadn't talked to him, but at least now his family knew where he was. And to his aunt, it seemed like Alex hated them and wanted nothing to do with them. So she figured he had to come back on his own when he was ready. But inside their home, things had gotten much worse for Alex. Jordan still incessantly questioned him about other girls, if he liked them, if he did anything during that time when they were apart, and if Alex didn't answer, Jordan had started getting violent. One of the first times Jordan was violent toward Alex, she had hit him over the head with a glass bottle while he was asleep. She had allegedly insisted that someone told her something had happened with Alex and someone else while they were separated, but Alex said that he had proof that the thing that she was saying didn't happen. And the first time Jordan had hit Alex, she hadn't drawn blood. Alex just had a welt on his head and was sore for a few days. But the abuse continued like that. And when Alex started shielding his head, she would allegedly hit him all over his body. It started with the bottle, but that gradually changed to a hammer or anything else she could find. Alex stated that almost every day Jordan would hit him. And if she missed a night, then she would make up for it the next night. There were times when Alex and Jordan would go out together, and according to him, Alex would be looking out the window and Jordan would grab a hairbrush and hit him over the head with it out of nowhere. She hit him so hard that Alex's tooth broke. He had no money and didn't drive, so because he couldn't get it fixed, he ripped the broken tooth out himself. And it wasn't just that first time that Jordan would hit Alex in the head while he slept. There were other times when that happened and he would wake up with a bleeding head and face. 
More recently, Alex has worked out that for that time period of about nine months, Jordan would hit him in the head at least three times a night. So according to him, this happened well over a thousand times. She used a hammer, the hairbrush, and then she started using knives. The first time she used a knife, it was just before Christmas time. Alex said she had taken a large bread knife and cut him across the knee with it. He asked if he could go to the hospital, but she told him no. So he wrapped it up tightly with a scarf. She would cut Alex all over his body. And according to her, later on, she only ever cut him and didn't stab him, which somehow in her mind was better. But that simply doesn't make any sense because you are using a knife against your partner. So that is unforgivable in my mind. On one occasion, the couple had gone to a fair in London called Winter Wonderland, but on the way there, all they did was fight. Jordan still felt like Alex was lying to her, so she didn't want to go to the fair with him, but Alex told her they had come all this way and he wanted to go in. So Jordan told him that as long as Alex got some one-a-day sleeping pills and took one, she would go with him. Which was an odd request, but Alex got the sleeping pills and took one because he was tired of fighting. But that wasn't enough for Jordan. She allegedly told him to put the rest of the sleeping pills in his mouth. And so he did as he was told. She then said to chew them up and swallow them. And he said he wasn't sure why he did, but he just did as he was told. After that, Alex doesn't remember much about being at the fair. He isn't even sure how they left or how they got home. That's terrifying because that is taking so many pills. That can kill you. I mean... We're getting into the territory of the things that he's enduring are life-threatening, and it's very serious. This has reached a point of no return. And something else that was happening was Alex said Jordan wouldn't let him eat properly or sleep in their bed. He would sleep on the floor. It had gotten so bad that he could feel his body shutting down. He was literally starving, was covered in cuts and bruises, and barely slept. At 2.30 a.m. on the 3rd of February, 2017, Alex called his dad, Graham, for help. So Graham and Alex's aunt had gone to his home and knocked on the door, and once again, all the lights went out. They yelled that if no one answered the door, they would be calling the police. Alex initially told them to go away, I don't want you here, but his father responded, no, you called me for help, so I'm here. Two police cars showed up and went in while Alex's dad and aunt stayed outside. The officers went in and separated both Alex and Jordan, and after a while, they came outside to his father and told him that the two had had a fight, but said everything was fine now, although Alex was walking with a limp. So nothing else was done that night, and that's where it ended. Not long after that, Alex and Jordan had gone to see Alex's favorite band in concert together, and that night was really fun. But the next morning, Alex had woken up to boiling water being poured over his back. Boiling water. I mean, how evil can someone get? Jordan had also gotten a five-pound lie detector. It was the kind that you strap your hand on, and if you're lying, it will zap you. Kind of like that trick pack of gum, where you try to pull out a piece and it actually just zaps you instead. I don't know if that was a universal childhood experience, but I hated those things, because being zapped is unpleasant. Anyway, Jordan made Alex strap his hand to the lie detector and asked him questions as she stood next to him with a kettle of boiling water. And these things are not actually lie detectors. They just buzz every once in a while. It's basically a game. 
But to Jordan, it seemed like it was an excuse to abuse Alex. When the lie detector buzzed, Alex immediately sprinted into another room and locked the door because he knew what would happen if he stayed in that room with her. And that's terrifying. It sounds like something straight out of a horror movie. You're strapped to a fake lie detector and you're told if it buzzed that the person standing next to you with a boiling kettle of water is going to pour it on you? That is a true nightmare. However, May 2nd of 2017, Alex and Jordan's daughter, Iris, was born. And with the birth of his daughter, Alex hoped that Jordan would mellow out like she had done with TJ when he was first born. He was really hopeful during that time, but the peace only lasted three days. And then everything started back up again. Which to me is shocking, not because it's shocking that she would continue abusing him, because she's obviously been doing that, but like, she just had a baby. Like, don't you need time to recover? Like, logistically here, how was she well enough to do those things? But it's what happened, but it's shocking for many reasons, but that's just one of those reasons where I'm like, how is that even possible? But the whole thing is unbelievable to me. About a month later, on June 3rd, 2017, the couple had another visit from the police, and this time their neighbors had called in a domestic disturbance. When police arrived at their home, they knocked for a while before they got an answer, and it was Jordan who answered the door. According to Sergeant Ed Finn, who was there that night, Jordan looked fine. She didn't look disheveled. She just looked normal. She told the police that there had been a problem, and Alex had hurt himself. Alex had a really terrible cut on his wrist that needed to be treated, so after she let the police in, Alex was taken to the hospital, because this did not look good. It seemed like he had been self-harming. At the hospital, doctors told Alex that if this cut was a centimeter either way, he probably would have died. And the nurses and doctors asked Alex repeatedly if he was okay, if he was safe to go home, if he could stay there with them. And even though he said he could have said something in that moment, he was still terrified of what Jordan would do if he had said something. So he insisted that he had done this to himself and he was fine to go home. It's not that he didn't want to tell people about what was happening between him and Jordan. He just felt like if he had, nothing would happen. He felt like Either no one would believe him, or even if they did, they would just leave him with her. And he was terrified of what she would do if something didn't go her way. So this was strictly out of fear. Even with that startling statistic at the beginning about how many men actually go through domestic abuse as well, you don't hear about it all that often because it is so stigmatized, which is messed up. But that is the reality of these situations a lot of the time. And he felt like he wasn't safe to say anything. Sergeant Ed Finn couldn't get a hold of Alex after that, and he was worried about him. But only a few days after that incident, the police received another call to go back to Alex and Jordan's address. And when Sergeant Finn saw that, he immediately took the call. The couple had been screaming at each other as the police car pulled up and there was a knock at the door. This time, Alex was the one who answered the door and let Sergeant Finn in. The two of them went upstairs, and he asked Alex if there had been an assault. Alex told him no, they had just been fighting so much because they were stressed out. Sergeant Finn wasn't buying it this time, and asked Alex if he was 100% sure, and he said he was. But Sergeant Finn doubled down and said, I don't think you're sure, because you're not making eye contact with me and you're looking at the ground. 
But Alex wouldn't budge. He insisted that he had done everything to himself. Because still, the only thing running through his head was, what will Jordan do if this goes wrong? And in that moment, Jordan knocked on the door and asked if she could come in and change the baby. So now in this room with Sergeant Finn and Alex, Jordan comes into the room with them. Sergeant Finn knew he had to get Alex out of there if he had any chance at getting him to talk. So he told Alex he had to take him down to the station so he should grab a coat. So Alex and Jordan said their goodbyes and he got into the back of the cop car. And there's body cam footage of these interactions and it is truly chilling how terrified Alex looked in those moments and how calm Jordan was. She asked if he'd be coming back that night, if they needed to talk to her as well, and they told her no, she could just stay there. Once in the back of the cop car, Sergeant Finn turned to Alex and said, okay, I'm not leaving here until you tell me the truth. You need help, she needs help, and your children need help. But still, Alex wouldn't budge on his story. So Sergeant Finn turned off his camera in his car and said, look, it's just you and me in this car, tell me what happened. And immediately, Alex told him, yes, it was her. But Sergeant Finn needed to say that he had heard that from the neighbors because he didn't want that to be coming from him. So Sergeant Finn went back inside and sat Jordan down in the living room and told her that she was under arrest under suspicion of assault. She needed to come with them to the station to have a conversation and get things in writing. So in the meantime, she could leave Iris and TJ with her parents. And she told him no problem. Sergeant Finn knew how manipulative Jordan could be and wasn't sure how she would react after all that, but she was surprisingly cooperative. She wanted to come off like she hadn't done anything, so she didn't have anything to hide. She asked in the car ride over how long she would be there, if it would be about an hour, and he told her, well, it might be a bit longer than that, and he was right. It was a bit longer than that. But truly kudos to Sergeant Finn for not giving up on this situation. He could clearly see that something was wrong. And even when Alex insisted that he had inflicted those wounds on himself and everything was fine and not to worry about it, he kept saying, really, tell me the truth. Like, you're not okay. And he wouldn't let it go. And ultimately, that saved Alex's life. And he does accredit Sergeant Finn to saving his life. I mean, if he hadn't done that, then things may not have gone the way they did. So Jordan went to the police station and Alex once again went to the hospital. And at the hospital, the doctor said that he had about 10 days before he would have died in the condition he was in. He weighed about 100 pounds. His skin was a shade of yellow. He had cuts, burns and bruises all over his body, and he could feel his body shutting down. Things could not have gotten much worse for him. The police put Alex up in a hotel that night and got him McDonald's on the way over, and he had told them that that was like the best thing he had ever eaten since he hadn't had a proper hot meal in so long. The next morning, he woke up in the hotel room and looked out his window to see that he had a view of the Bedford River and he had a buffet breakfast. He sort of giggled to himself because he couldn't believe everything that had happened. Meanwhile, he was still wearing a blood-stained t-shirt and was covered in bandages because he didn't have anything else. But he didn't care if he didn't belong in that buffet breakfast because he was just happy eating his bacon. And we love that for him. 
Sergeant Finn said at the time that this was the worst domestic abuse case of his career to date. And it clearly seems like that. Like, for a doctor to say that you are 10 days away from death, he was potentially under 100 pounds because he said seven stone. And I don't fully know what seven stone is. I looked it up and it said 98 pounds. And then I looked up eight stone and it said 112. So I guess there's a bit of a range there, but he was somewhere in between 111 and 98 pounds, which is shockingly small for a full-grown man. After lengthy questioning with both Jordan and Alex, Jordan was charged with 17 counts, including grievous bodily harm and controlling or coercive behavior. During questioning, Jordan denied most things that Alex had said happened, although she did admit to cutting him with a knife and using a hammer, although she said she never tried to hurt him, which doesn't make much sense. She said, oh, I never stabbed him. I only cut him. And sure, I used a hammer. And yeah, I hit him with my hairbrush. But like, what do you mean you didn't hurt him? This is unbelievably cruel, insanely violent. And oh my, I mean, how do you do that to someone that you are supposed to love? How do you do that to anyone, let alone the father of your children and the person you're in a relationship with? Like, this is so disgusting. But anyway, damn, Steph, tell us how you really feel. Either way, she was charged. And after everything, one of the police officers called Alex's mother and told her that her son was safe and well. And Alex's mother didn't know what had happened. So she asked, did Jordan hurt Alex? And she was told, yes, Alex had been burnt, stabbed, and smashed. And she was rightfully furious and upset that this is what happened to her son over the past two years that she hadn't seen him. I mean, that is shocking information to find out that your son is days away from death. That is how bad the situation he was in was. But after that, she found out that Alex was coming back home to her and to their family home. And once he was at home, it was like he had never left. Alex's family welcomed him back with open arms, and he was so happy to have them back. They were horrified hearing about all the things that Jordan had put him through, and Alex's mother didn't even know that he had a second child. So five days after Jordan was charged, Alex got his kids back, and his mother got to meet her granddaughter for the first time. Alex also saw his friends again, and like his family, they also welcomed him back immediately. It was surreal to see him again after years of him not being there, but Jordan Parker, his best friend, was extremely happy to have Alex back in his life. And that makes me so happy. I mean, it's just nice that even when someone gets caught up in a really awful situation, that his friends were able to separate him from that relationship and and took him back with open arms, even though he, you know, kind of left them and didn't speak to them and was mean to them. I mean, they knew that it was Jordan, but still the fact that he allowed that to happen is hurtful, but it's just very good that they were able to look past that and were able to welcome him back with open arms because he needed that support and love. And I'm just happy to hear it. Uh, That's all. I'm just, I'm glad. (laughs) They're good people, obviously. Jordan pled guilty to three of her 17 counts, which Alex was shocked about because at first, you know, she was saying she was not guilty. 
And then finally, she said she was guilty. So he was very relieved that he didn't have to go and testify in trial because he didn't want to have to do that. And I don't blame him. So on her sentencing day, there was no sense of remorse from Jordan. The only thing the judge said was, Jordan doesn't blame Alex for anything she did to him. Oh, good. What do you mean? She doesn't blame Alex. Yeah, of course she doesn't blame Alex. That's insane. What an insane thing to say. To not say you're sorry and then to just be like, oh yeah, it wasn't his fault. We know, girl. The audacity. I can't imagine being Alex's family in that situation. This girl who has terrorized your family and put your loved one days away from death and she's saying that not that she's sorry, but that she doesn't blame him. (laughs) It is laughable how terrible that is. I mean, what a monster. Anyway, Jordan Parker said that he believed in Jordan's mind, the more she did to him and he stayed, the more he really did love her because he stayed through the abuse. I mean, that's just his friend's theory about what was going through her mind. But honestly, I that's some crazy backwards thinking. And something else that is also shocking was Jordan had graduated her university and was planning on becoming a teacher. She wanted multiple people to put their children in her care. This clearly mentally unstable person wanted to have more control over other people's lives. I mean, clearly she just wants control, but like, oh my God, thank goodness that was not something that happened because... I don't even want to know what could have happened if she had children put in her care. But anyway, thankfully that was not the case. And on April 13th, 2018, Jordan was given two seven-year sentences to be served concurrently for wounding with intent and grievous bodily harm, and a consecutive sentence of six months for controlling or coercive behavior. And Jordan was the first female in the UK to be convicted of this charge. Not something you want to be remembered for. The day that Jordan went to prison was the day that Alex felt the most free, according to him. It was such a massive relief. It was the first time he didn't feel worried looking over his shoulder. Sergeant Finn, after all of this, was really hard on himself because he felt like he should have done more the first time around. He wished he would have realized then what was going on, but he said it was extremely uncommon for the woman to be the abuser. It wasn't something that he had seen and he just didn't realize it at the time. I get being hard on yourself because I am definitely hard on myself, but without Sergeant Finn, Alex may not be here today. Like, it's incredible what he did. And sure, you want to see it the first time around and you wish you could have helped him sooner, but he did really amazing work. And I think that's also something that should be recognized because not every person in that position may have treated Alex with such kindness and concern. And Alex has said that, so that's good. Alex's friends said they wondered how this whole thing happened, but they recognized that everything had happened so subtly at first. The little things Jordan did in the beginning, like making him cut his hair a certain way or wear certain clothes, was just how it started. It didn't start with a knife to his leg. That was a very gradual increase. And once he got to that point, it was like he was stuck and he couldn't do anything. But now that Alex is removed from the situation, he can better understand the abuse that went on during that relationship, and he wants to help spread awareness to others that there is no gender in these kinds of things. It's not just women who get abused by their male partners. What I've recently seen about Jordan 
that she has recently been released from prison and she only served a part of her jail term behind bars. And she is now apparently engaged to a 28-year-old man. So don't love that. I hope that she is truly reformed. I will say that much because that's really scary considering what she went to prison for. Uh, Anyway, today... Alex coaches a football team that is sponsored by a domestic abuse charity, and he talks to professionals about how they can recognize signs of abuse. He said he opened up about his ordeal in order to inspire other victims to come forward. He said, quote, you're far more of a person if you speak out. You're only going to get better if you talk about it. And he has said that he has so much support from his family and is looking forward to building a future with his kids. So I think I can safely say that we wish Alex, TJ, and Iris nothing but the best because they deserve it. And just to end this story off, the domestic abuse hotline number is 800-799-7233, or you can text START to 88788. But man, oh man, that was really awful. That was really something. But I am so glad that he is now out of it and in a stable, happy place with his two kids who are adorable. And he's got his family and friends in his corner. And, you know, that is really just, to me, the most important thing. He's also using his time to not only spread awareness, but look out for others. Like he knows that because someone stepped in for him at the right time, that he was able to get out of the situation that he was in. So he wants to do that for someone else. And he's, you know, definitely looking out for those certain things and teaching others how to look out for those signs because people aren't always just asking for help. And that's incredible work. That's really important work. So he is doing amazingly. And... That is where I'm going to leave the story because that's the end. But anyway, why don't we have a bit of a palate cleanser just to end things off on a different note? Why don't I tell you my good thing for the week? My good thing is that I, surprisingly enough, am actually going to be in a horror film (laughs) this Saturday. I'm filming a horror film. I'm going to get chased by an alien and... uh, I'm excited to do it. It's a little short film. And yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I've never done a horror before. So I'm excited to see how it turns out. I'm a little nervous about it. But I mean, I think it'll be all right. Anyways, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you have all the good things happening to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to participate in the polls that we have up for our bonus episodes and hear a bunch of bonus content, head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or something spooky or something interesting, send it to me at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. You may just hear that on an upcoming listeners episode. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. <laughs>